Hi, and welcome to the Vine Community Church Podcast. We hope that what you're about to hear will help you to flourish in God's grace and bear fruit through loving God, loving each other, and loving our community. Good morning. Hey, good morning. All right, awesome job. Hey, welcome. I'm John Adams, lead pastor here, and you notice the t-shirt, pretty fancy, right? Yeah. Uh, awesome t-shirts, guys. Hope you had a great weekend. Welcome, refreshed students. And it's so great to uh, celebrate with you in the kickoff of school and just asking for God to just do that unique work as I prayed just earlier. Thank God for you guys. And, um, and thank God for you all and that uh, you who are here and even online, that we just pray for your blessing and encouragement as we start a new series out of the book of Titus. And uh, the series theme is right behind me. It's Grace for Living. And that's what we want to teach you throughout the weeks to come. And we're going to go right through this scripture because it really, really unfolds what that means throughout this letter. Um, Let me just give you just a quick context of this letter so you can get uh, kind of up up in understanding of, uh, of what, what this letter is all about. Titus and First and Second Timothy are described as Paul the Apostle's pastoral letters. Now, pastoral letters were, were written, and they were called the pastoral letters, these three letters, for this reason, is Paul is writing to his younger mentees. Uh, he writes to Titus here, who is the pastor on the island of Crete, And then he also writes to Timothy, who's the pastor at the city of Ephesus there in what we call modern-day Turkey. And Paul is mentoring these young pastors in what it means to care for and shepherd God's people and to, as we'll see today in this sermon, that, that we all need grace for living. We, we all need grace for living. You see, you all know this, many of you do, but no amount of personal effort, good works, or religious deeds will ever get you into heaven or into the good, goodness of God and, and his salvation. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says this, for it is by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves, It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one would boast. No one will boast. We come not in our boasting. We become in in just our celebration and gratitude that we somehow would be called his sons and daughters of God. You will know this if you're a Christ follower that Tim talked about last week in the book of Acts. A little Christ You know that because of our sins, we were far away from God relationally. And we deserved, every one of us, including me, to die for our sins. But because of God's great love for us, he sent his perfect son. Look at I'm not sending my two daughters for any of you. Sorry, I love you, but not that much. But Jesus was sent by the Father. He, He was perfect. And he lived a sinless life. And he died 
on the cross in a way that he was a substitution for everyone who believes in him as the way to enter into a relationship with God. Doesn't that excite you? And when we receive this grace, and it's just by simple faith, not great faith, we are assured to live with God forever in heaven. And, and this is an important and, and he wants to teach us to live a life of flourishing in his grace right now. Now, what some of us miss is this. And listen up if you listen to nothing else. Listen up right now. Listen up. We should continually grow in grace and trusting and knowing and learning to live in God's grace. And that's for all of us. We must continually learn to live in grace. It's not one and done. We may be assured we're with him and we're going to go to heaven, but we need God and his grace right now. And that's what we talk about in our, our vision in our, at the vine, that we would flourish in God's grace and bear fruit. You know, here at the vine, we truly believe that there's no flourishing without learning to live in his grace. And we're going to see that throughout the letter of Titus. But let's talk just a minute about the whole book. I want to give you just a brief overview outline of the book of Titus. And then we'll go back to zoom in to our passage this morning. The entirety of the book of Titus can be outlined this way. First of all, grace protects, which is chapter one. Grace is passed on, chapter two. And grace is practiced, and we see that in chapter three. Um, you know, briefly, let me just <clears throat> give you just a quick overview of each of those chapters. Grace protects. In chapter one, it's talking about pastors and elders who are leading God's people in God's word to know how to, to live in his grace. And we, were, uh, we are called to teach and train others of the church in biblical doctrine, which protects us. It brings us safety. And we'll see what that looks like. And when we are under that kind of teaching and it's changing us, we flourish. And that's, that's what's the beauty of what Christ-centered community, that's what the church should look like. A bunch of messy people like you and me, messy because of our sin, who are being changed by God's wonderful grace. And so grace is passed on in chapter 2. We see that, that here, there that older men and women are, are being taught and trained to pass on God's grace to others. Uh, and again, this means that, that the most important thing that we're going to all learn is it's not just about preachers preaching. Preaching, we'll see it, is vital. Preaching is vital. But look, every one of you, you're, I don't see you preaching each week, do you? But you are to teach and train others in your families, in your work, in your schools about grace, about Jesus, 
about what our God has done for us. That's chapter two. Can't wait to get there. Grace is, in chapter three, is is practiced. When God's grace is effectively passed on, it changes our thinking, our hearts and desires, and the ways that we live. It, It causes us, as we'll see in chapter two, verse 14 and 314, that we will be zealous for good works. We work not to earn favor of God. No, but we work out of joy and delight that we are his sons and daughters. And he loves us with an everlasting love. Well, maybe you're thinking right now something like this. Well, I, John, I already, I know about grace. I, I, I already have it. You see, that might be your problem. You see, we all continually need to receive God's grace and to live in God's grace. I had a seminary professor tell me, he, he said to our, our class, he says, students, listen up. Every Christian is constantly headed from one extreme to the next. And he pointed out just two extremes that are even found here in the book of Titus. The extreme, for example, of legalism. And in Titus, we'll see that they they were trying to force Titus to be circumcised because he was a, a Gentile, not a Jew. But Paul would have none of it. And Paul said, no, he doesn't need that. It's not by works are we saved. Legalism. And we fall into it because we we don't do that, but we do condemn others. We do think we're superior. We do think, hmm, I've got to work hard somehow to earn God's favor. And so we're headed towards one extreme of legalism or we're headed towards license. Which license, on the other hand, is, is found when we say, hmm, I'm free. I don't have to do good works. And what does the Bible say? We just said it. In, in Titus 2.14, Titus 3.8, Titus 3.14, look, look up the scriptures. You'll see that Paul says we must all be zealous, desiring, doing good works as a result of being changed by God's wonderful grace. And we're going to look at that and see that throughout this letter. Just remember that Paul was a Jew, an apostle, who wrote this letter to Titus. He was one of his traveling companions, started in his first missionary journey all the way through the third missionary journey. Titus is one of the most constant guys with Paul. And he was a pastor at, Titus was actually a pastor at three locations And now here in this letter, he's writing to Titus when he's pastoring on the island of Crete. And remember, Titus is a Gentile. So he has a unique ministry among the non-Jewish people, which is a category what the Jews called, they called them all Gentiles, outsiders. You know, Tim shared with us 
um, several weeks ago. It's those people, you know, how we think that way. And so uh, we're going to be looking at that, at how Titus' unique ministry on the island of Crete. So today, we're going to start in what's called Paul's introduction. And now we're going to zoom in to our passage today. My, my fourth grade teacher, Miss Moore, would not be happy with Paul's grammar in this introduction. See, verses one through three are one long sentence. I got corrected by actually an English professor after the first service. He said it's not actually a run-on sentence. I said that in verse. He said it's actually a compound, complex sentence. <laughs> okay. But it's pretty long. <laughs> but Paul, why, why, is it, why is it such a long, compound, complex sentence? Well, the reason is, is Paul was on the edge of his seat. He was so changed by God's grace. He was filled with such excitement to, to teach and train young Titus in the gospel of grace who would teach and train others the biblical means of communicating and discipling one another. And so let's look at this passage. And I remind you, as we do always, this is God's word. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with him which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. Paul received God's grace here for living in two ways. And this is what we're going to look at as our outline. His calling and his work. And both were given by God. First of all, God's calling to Paul. Paul was called by God to both be a servant. It's literally the word bond servant, and this is important. He was a bond servant and also an apostle. And, and you know, this is a big contrast. A bond servant was at the bottom of the barrel of, of the Jewish world and what you could actually do and be. In fact, in the Old Testament, we see two kinds of servants that are described. A hired servant, which was, who had rights and was paid, and a bond servant who was, had no rights and was not paid. Here, Paul is saying, I am a bond servant. I have no rights. I have no remuneration. I am under I am, in essence, the lowest of the low of the roles in all of Israel. In fact, Israel, in Israel, the Jewish people could not make their own people a bondservant. It was illegal. But why did Paul become a bondservant? Well, here's the reason. Jesus, the Lord of the heavens of the earth, 
God, who is God himself, became flesh, became human. And he, in Philippians chapter 2, in that great emptying passage, says, Paul says there, he's teaching there, he says, have this mind, have this thinking, this, this way of you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who became a servant, and that's the word bondservant. It's the same word as we find here in Titus 1.1. Jesus, who was God, became a bondservant, emptying his rights. No pay, lowest of the low. And he went to the cross, humbling and dying a death for you and me. This is so vital because here, this whole work of what God did through the Apostle Paul, Paul's willingness to go low and be the lowest of roles in all of Israel was what gave him the right to become an apostle. And he was. The apostle was the highest of authorities in the church. The apostle had the power, the ability to write the very word of God. And today we don't have apostles. Why? Because... We have all the word of God complete. 66 books, it's done. It's finished. So we no longer need apostles, but Paul was this apostle and he had authority and he wanted Titus to know that and Titus's church to know that because Titus's context was in a lying, cheating community that they they really didn't know who they, would believe, who they could believe. And so Paul says, look, I am an apostle. I'm establishing that right here from the beginning of this letter. I have authority to write this very word. So listen up, church. And I'm willing to become a bondservant. I'm willing to go to the lowest of low. I'm willing to be emptied of all my rights. Let me ask you something. It's true that none of us, including me, we're not apostles or never will be. But the Bible calls us, each one of us, Philippians chapter 2, verses 7 and following, to become bondservants. Are you emptying yourself of your rights? Are you willing to say, I don't come? And do live my life for money or pay. I come, Lord, humbling myself and becoming willing to be the lowest of the low that you might somehow use me for your glory. We are called to be bondservants, just like Paul's calling to become a bondservant. But secondly, in this passage, in this, this introduction, we're going to learn that it's God's work for Paul. And we're going to see that in the second half of verse 1 through verse 3. And I have a few questions to ask of these, these couple verses. First of all, who benefits from God's work? As Paul worked out his calling as bondservant and an apostle, he was given work to do. Verse 1 teaches us that Paul knew why God worked in his life. You see it? It says, for the sake of the faith 
of God's elect. Paul, Paul worked to help advance others' faith in, 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 the, in God. And in the New Testament, we know this. Every person who comes to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior are called the elect. And so you don't have to worry about it. If you know Jesus, you are the elect. But how is it established? We see here God worked in and through Paul for the advancement of Christ's saving kingdom. And by growing his people, also called his elect. Verse 1b says, their knowledge of the truth to lead them to godly living. You see, truth is important for the Christians, for all of us. But for the island of Crete, it was really needed to live differently. Why was that? We see in Titus chapter 1, verse 12, that it says, Cretans, the Cretan people, are always liars. Culturally, in that day, lying was acceptable on that, in, on that island. And again, you could never know if someone was telling the truth. Doesn't it sound pretty current? I mean, with all the, you know, the scandals in churches and the craziness in this world, can you even trust what I'm saying? But here Paul says, that's why we must establish not the truth of a person, but of the word of God. We must know that this is the truth of God. And when it is faithfully taught, we can rely on it. And so we have to, when we hear God's word, we must check it out and see, just as the Bereans and Acts, we're constantly looking at God's word to see, is it true what the preacher and the teachers are saying or not? So here, we see also that, that, that Paul's trying to establish, or establish truth and to break this pattern of lying. In verse 2, he writes, God who never lies. He establishes at the very beginning of this introduction the character of Almighty God. So important and vital. We see this description of God. It's only found here and in all of Paul's writings in this way. You see, truth is secured as we trust the character of God who never lies. And some of you need that right now. After the first service, I met with a, with a man who's just broken because of circumstances in his family. And he said, John, it's hard. You see, I just pointed him back. I said, brother, I'm so sorry. And I wept with him. But it's, at that moment, I said, it's relying on God and his character who never lies. His promises are completely faithful and true. Every promise in the word of God can be trusted. And that's what gives us hope in the midst of the hardest circumstances of life. Numbers 23, 19 says, God is not man that he should lie, or the son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and he, he will not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? Hmm. 
a rhetorical question. No, he will fulfill it. He will do it. He never lies. You can trust God and his word. So what does it produce, the work of God in and through Paul? And verse 2 says, in hope of eternal life. Remember that eternal life is the life that begins when you become a Christian and it never ends. So if you are a Christ follower, you're in eternal life right now. It's a life where we trust God in his grace and continue to grow in flourishing in him and bearing fruit. This means that we live in hope, as we just said, even when we face the hardest of circumstances. And this life is good. There's so many good things, but there's so many hard things. And some of you come today and you are very discouraged, very frustrated, very angry, or maybe even overwhelmed It's perhaps you're in despair because of your circumstances. I heard a a song, you know, in Christian songs, you've got to keep evaluating the message, right? It was by Matthew West and was called A Wonderful Life. And when he started out, he just started out kind of singing. And I like some of his songs. And he started singing about... This life is so wonderful and da-da-da-da. He had a few good words, but it was all about the goodness of this life. And I go, oh, no. One of those songs. Everything's perfect. Everything's great in this world. But then he went to the chorus, and I loved it. He said, I know there is heaven waiting for us after this life This life ain't always wonderful, but this life ain't all there is. This life ain't always wonderful, church. But I want to remind you, as Paul did often, this life ain't all it is. There's more. We're looking to heaven. We're living for that day. Ask the Lord to fill you with hope in this life looking to the next life because this life ain't all there is. So so how does Paul communicate the works of God through him? In verse 3 it says, and at the proper time manifested in his word through preaching. You see, preaching God's word is the primary means to communicate grace found in the word, the Bible. In this context and in our American culture, we need the preaching of God's word because there are so many lies. I don't have time to get into it, but there's so many half-truths, things that sound so good, but we need the faithful preaching of God's word to discern truth from error. And look, I want to just say this, that You know, you come here and you're here in person, many of you. And I want to encourage you to be in person whenever you can. This is the best way to hear the preaching of God's word. But also listen, you don't come here because you're going to hear great preaching. You know, Mark, Tim, I, others, we're okay. But listen, 
You come because we've got a great word that came from a great God. We come to put ourselves under the word of God, the word of truth, the God of the universe who has spoken to us and to understand how we should live our lives in this life with hope in the midst of all the hard things. And so preaching is vital. But Paul doesn't just say, just preach. That's the only form of discipleship. Just come hear me and you got it. You can go and you're done. No, in chapter two, we see he's called and throughout this book, he talks about teaching and training, teaching and training. Teach and train God's people. Chapter 2, remember, is not about preachers preaching. It's about the people teaching and training others about God's grace. And it calls every Christ follower to do so. Let me ask you a question right now. Think about it. And we're going to be going through this through the weeks, months, and actually this ministry year encouraging and equipping you how do you teach and train others in God's grace. And it's going to be a great year. And I'm excited to go through this book of Titus with you, with our preachers. But listen, as you come to this, you've got to ask yourself, am I doing that? Do I have... Do I have people in my life that I am teaching and training and passing on the gospel? It doesn't have to be a classroom. It can be one-on-one. It can be in conversations at school. You know, it can be at work. It can be moms and dads passing on the gospel and kids passing on the gospel to each other and back to their parents. You see, there's no one way to disciple In fact, your elders have written a great book or um, a great letter. It's called An Approach to Discipleship. I'd love to get that in your hands to read. But it talks about we want to use every context in this church to teach and train you in God's grace, to equip you to teach and train others. That's what we are all to do. God has called us to that great mission to pass on the gospel as we have been so graciously had it passed on to us. And that's our focus on this year. It's nothing really new, but it's important to know that we have to continue to fight to live in God's grace because it's a battle. Because we often wake up and we get busy and we get to the place where we're tired and we're overwhelmed and we kind of want to just live our way. And we need God's help constantly. So today, I just want to encourage you. As Again, Tim shared last week out of the book of Acts, Acts chapter 11. May we learn to live in God's grace and people see that we are Christians. Jesus ones. 
We've been changed by God's grace, and he's continuing to change us. So as you come to communion, this table is a place for you to reflect. Are you doing that? I want to just invite you to think for just a moment of silent meditation and confession of sin as you prep your hearts. What extreme are you headed towards? Do you tend to be legalistic, judgmental, condemning? Is that the direction you're headed? Or are you headed towards the extreme of license? Well, I'm free, but I can live however I want. That's license. Will you repent of whichever direction you are having a tendency towards? Ask the Holy Spirit to give you guidance because sometimes we can't even see our own sin clearly. Let's go to him in a moment of silent confession of sin. Let's pray. Thanks so much for joining us for this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at thevinecc.com, download our mobile app, or visit us on Facebook or Instagram at thevinecc. Have a great week.